Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. This morning, uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Fran, and I hope to catch up with you afterwards. Um, We're going to kind of dip into John's gospel, which I think is my favorite. I used to not really have a favorite gospel, and now I do. So I don't know if you have a favorite, but you might like to pick one. Stay with it for a bit and see what happens over time. So today, Easter Day, I've called the message, She Mistook Him for the Gardener, which is just a little phrase lifted straight from John's account of the resurrection. You know, I'm just not really a morning person. Just say that out loud. Yep. (laughs) Oh, good, I'm not alone. I like to be up late. I like evening. I'd rather watch a sunset and moonrise and the stars come out one by one than get up for sunrise. I know you, you early birds probably don't relate to that at all, but the thing is you're already awake. So, you know, you're up and you're doing it. But for me, it has to be the alarm, which is the most brutal way to wake up ever. You have to then kind of crank yourself out of bed and go through that whole morning admin thing. And I just don't really like it. If I was already awake, dawn would be fine. But actually, I just find it a bit hard to get excited about dawn. But Easter is a morning thing. Easter is a morning festival. It is about the the dawn and the dawning of something very special. Christmas, our other huge festival, if we remember, it's the Feast of the Incarnation. And that's more nighttime if you think about it. There's the following of that star over um, months and months, possibly years, by the, by the magi or the wise men. The angelic host appear in the night sky, don't they, as the shepherds are watching their flocks by night. The general sense that the child is born sometime in the evening. And yet here we are, This is the feast, not of the incarnation, but the resurrection. And it's all about the morning. Got a lovely uh, quote here from G.K. Chesterton. And um, I'll pop it up so that you can see it too. On the third day, he wrote, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation. With a new heaven and a new earth and in a semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden, not in the cool of evening, but in the dawn. Casting our minds back, to Friday, Jesus was tried, flogged, crucified. Three o'clock in the afternoon, he's died. His mother and friends had to quickly take down his body, hurriedly wrap him in linen and place him in a borrowed tomb before nightfall, which is when the Sabbath observance began, and they couldn't do any more work until Sunday morning. Can you imagine the agonies of having to wait 
to tend to the body of the one you love. This was the realm of the women caring for the dead. To wash him, to anoint his body with myrrh and oil, to do the burial rites. It was the women who stayed with him actually while he suffered on the cross. Only John, he was the only disciple to stay. Other than that, it was the women disciples and his mother and his auntie. Hmm. So it was the women who were probably antsy and restless through Friday night and Saturday and Saturday night, waiting for the moment of release from the Sabbath laws so they could rush to the tomb and do the right things for the body of the Lord. John tells us honestly in his gospel that Mary Magdalene was the first at the tomb. She found it empty and ran to tell John and Simon Peter. And John in his gospel then focuses on this sort of strange and mysterious encounter between Mary Magdalene and the risen Christ. So I'm just going to tell the story as it was, just listen. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran. She went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John speaking about himself. And she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, 
you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she said to him, Teacher, which in Aramaic is Rabboni. So let's just home in on a few things here. While it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb. It was early and dark, and actually our world is shadowed still, isn't it, by covid darkened maybe by armed conflicts we hoped would cease while we collectively faced the battle of a pandemic, the darkness of job loss, of uncertainty that is economic or housing-related, personal darknesses and losses, some of which we may be um, sharing within the context of our family. Some personal darknesses have never been spoken out loud. While it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb and it was empty. Our darkness and the world's darkness has not, did not, cannot, and will not prevent the rising of Christ. It had already happened. It has already happened, and this is our hope. When in the midst of loss, we are bowed down, and all we can do is peer into the emptiness and see burial cloths, and we think we've been robbed, This is not the end. It's part of the story, but it's not the end. Mary's tears and her distress blurred her vision. Have you ever had someone say to you something that you just can't quite take in? It happened to me the other day, celebrating my dad's 91st birthday, and his 90th had been in lockdown And we couldn't go and be with him. And he was alone um, back on March 26th, 2020, that weird time. So it was just so nice to be with him on his birthday. And he doesn't want to celebrate how old he is. He doesn't feel like that's a celebration at all. And we said, well, we're not celebrating you being 91. We're just celebrating that we have you. How lucky we are to still have you. And just hugging him and telling him how special it was to have him in my life still. And that... What a happy day it must have been the day he was born for his mum and his dad and his big sister and just kind of being in that moment. And then in the midst of this hug, he starts saying some things to me that are the loveliest, kindest, most beautiful things he's ever said to me in my whole life and I just couldn't take it in. My my brain just went on the fritz and I, I was trying with all of my being to listen to what he was saying and I just couldn't really absorb it. It's like, oh my gosh, I've waited my whole life to hear you say some of these things. And here you are saying them and I can't take them in. It's like, they're just sliding off. Except they didn't slide off. They just lodged somewhere very, very deep instead. And I can remember maybe the last thing that he said. But I remember also thinking after that, man, you know, I could die now and be happy. There's nothing more that needs to be said between us. But I I totally understand what it means that Mary couldn't take in. That in the midst of all this other stuff, that here was Jesus. It was just too much for her brain and her vision to kind of register 
right away. And it made me think, I wonder how many times in our lives when we've been struggling, we might discover that Jesus has in fact been there, but we didn't recognize him. So going back to Mary's experience, that there she is in the midst of her distress, and here's Jesus. She sees him, but just can't register it. And I wonder if that's true for us sometimes. And that perhaps Jesus has, in fact, if we look back, come to us somewhat disguised, a kind stranger, a medical professional, a friend or family member who's stepped in to assist us, that God comes to us through one another. So Mary mistook him for the gardener, and John celebrates this in his gospel. He draws a parallel between Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, and the garden there, the Garden of Eden, and this garden, the garden where the tomb is, this beginning, and this new Adam, that Jesus is the new ground, which what Adam means, for humanity. And he walks in this garden as God walked in Eden. The garden is the place where the story of humanity and God begins, and here is where it begins again, newly. And it also happens, John says, on the first day of the week, which is John's way of saying this really is a new Genesis. This is the first day of our healed relationship with God. The resurrection of Jesus broke the ground of God's massive restoration project. And this is why Jesus is so often found in the art of the Renaissance and the Baroque period. Uh, when pictured as in the resurrection, he's shown with a shovel in his hand, a gardening tool, that he is the gardener bending down to bring us up to make us full and healthy and beautiful. Does it help to think of Jesus as a gardener? The early church certainly thought so. And that vision of Jesus has continued through until fairly recent times, but it sort of dropped off the radar a bit. Probably around the time of industrialization, when farming happened in bigger and bigger, on a bigger and bigger scale, with more and more machinery. And so Jesus is the gardener, and our sense of what it means to raise plants and grow food kind of diminished. So perhaps we need now more than ever this vision of Jesus as the gardener. Maybe for different reasons, but we need Christ to be the gardener again, helping us care for creation, care for ourselves, care for those around us, and let him care for us in a gardeny way. So John leaves Mary's misidentification in because it means something real. Jesus is the gardener of our soul. He knows its condition. He knows what will flourish there. He also knows what is noxious, needs eradication. He loves the soul. He enjoys the virtues and goodness of our soul. He collaborates with us in tending 
our soul, not beating it into submission or concreting over it and just painting it green. Our soul is his home on earth. And there's something else in this encounter, something so personal and transformative and ordinary, but it changes everything for Mary. It's the moment Jesus says her name. That's the thing that breaks through her lostness, the horror and being bereft, not only the death of Jesus, but even his body has been taken. And I don't find it hard to imagine this because my mother died when I was 26. And it was only last year that we found where her ashes were. So for all those many, many years, there was no grave to visit, nowhere to mourn, nowhere to take my children, nowhere to go with my sister. We had the reality of the death, but there was no place to mourn. I know what this feels like. So in the midst of Mary's powerlessness, her confusion and anger of bereavement and grief, which are probably the most intense and lonely feelings we ever have in our lives, Jesus doesn't come bashing in. He doesn't grab her by the shoulders and yell, Mary, it's me, pay attention. He doesn't even touch her. He just says her name, and she recognizes his voice instantly when it shapes the familiar vowels of her own name. And this is where the joy comes. This is the moment she knows, yes, you were dead, but now you're alive. A friend of ours has a special whistle that he developed before the days of mobile phones to attract the attention of his daughters and his wife when they were out in busy places, if they were at festivals or in a shopping mall or if they were overseas and um, in crowds. So he would just have his, the special family whistle. They all know it. He can still do it. Um, and so if it was time for everybody to gather, we're out of here, you know, he would just do the whistle, the Fong family whistle. But nobody else would know that it was the Fong family whistle. But um, Jesse and Steph and Jill, it's like, okay, there's Waymond. Where is he? Oh, there he is. And it was just that unique thing within their family. And maybe it's a clumsy illustration of what it means to hear something so specific to you. But they just knew, oh, that's dad. And so when someone says your name, the familiar voice, the, the way that it just cuts through all the other voices in the room without shouting... It's just like kids are attuned to, or when you hear them say, Mom, it's like you just instantly hear it. So Jesus said his name and it was partic- said her name and it was particular to her. So just for a moment, we're going to pause here and a little bit like we did on Christmas Eve, if you were with us, we're going to just make a little bit of time to be with this. Um, this story, this part of the story, and make a little bit of room for what's happening at your end. So your job in this part is to just use your imagination. And my part is just to kind of give you some little cues to to help you reflect and, and connect, make a little bit of room for God to do something with you uh, right here this morning.
So you might find it easier to sort of gaze off into the distance rather than just looking at me. You can close your eyes if you want to. That helps you imagine. Stare up at the ceiling. I don't know. We won't take long, but just whatever helps you imagine. Because I want you to imagine a garden. Maybe a garden you know. That might be easier too. And the cool of the morning. And it's dark. And it's you standing outside the tomb with all the feelings of and curiosity of where is the body? And it's probably been stolen and what that feels like. You might notice tuis. There might be some bird life around you. But it's just you. And in your imagination, just imagine the sound of some footsteps. And in your imagination, a voice says your name. And just notice the name. Give yourself time to tune in because maybe it's more of an endearment or a nickname. The version of your name that you like the best. And notice the tone in which you heard that name, your name. And just notice for yourself what it is like to hear this. It will sound like your own voice more than likely. But nevertheless, here it is. God knows your name. What's that like for you? And just the last little cue or reflection question is, What's the invitation to you? How are you invited to live into this relationship? And so gently moving away from the garden and back into the here and now, but you can still sit there with your eyes closed if you'd like to. One of my favourite artists, 
and poets and also a minister, Jan Richardson, she frames this garden moment for us like this. She says, I would want to linger here and stay and savour this miracle of reunion and return. But we know Jesus asks something other of Mary Magdalene. Though this may be a garden, this is not the place to put down roots. It's a place of calling, of consecration, of sending, as Jesus urges the Magdalene to go and tell what she has seen. And Mary has to choose whether she wants this calling, this consecration. She has to decide whether she truly wants to be sent from this place. Jan writes, I feel a catch in my own chest in this moment of decision, this threshold which will change everything from here. This day, this empty tomb, this has been our destination all this time. But we see with Mary Magdalene, this is not a place to stop. This is not the end towards which we have been traveling. This is the beginning. It's not the end. It's the beginning. So I'm going to invite us all to stand, and we're going to finish our service this morning with um, a poem and a blessing. So any of you who have heard small children speak will know that they get words a little bit wrong sometimes, and sometimes in getting it wrong, they get it right. <laughs> the way they say it just becomes the way the family says it. So... Um, in our family, we have sosos rather than sausages because somehow soso says it much better. Sounds sort of more delicious. Sosos. So this is a poem called Rosing from the Dead by Paul Willis. We're on our way home from Good Friday service. It is dark. It is silent. Sunday, says Hannah, Jesus will be rosing from the dead. It must have been like that, a white blossom or maybe a red one pulsing from the floor of the tomb, reaching around the Easter stone and levering it aside with pliant thorns. The soldiers overcome with the fragrance and Mary at sunrise mistaking the dawn-dewed rose of Sharon for the untamable gardener. So may you, on this Easter Sunday, be blessed by the untamable gardener, the one who knows your soul and its condition. May you live wild and true, and may you leave it aside with the life in you, the obstacles and sin and injustice of the world, and bring the beauty of your fragrance to all those around you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And the people said, Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.